Hello, 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 listener. Welcome back to Lost in Postulation uh, with me, Nicola Volpi, and Neil Fitzpatrick. We are back. The podcast nobody asked for is back after Absolutely. a couple week hiatus. Although, funny you say that because people did ask me during the hiatus, where is the podcast? Yeah. I felt it was a tremendous guilt I felt. I was uh, I had to apologize and say you were otherwise occupied. I think you have a good excuse. We'll get into that. I- in I'd second. like to think so. Absolutely. Um, but uh, the people were crying out for postulations, and uh, we are delighted to be back delivering them. And uh, it is great to be here. I was also receiving uh, some of those texts uh, myself while away uh, on my honeymoon. And hey. uh, I also felt uh, indebted to our, uh, to our listeners that expect us to work all the time. For free. For free, yeah, exactly. Let's not forget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's Until we start that uh, that cheeky little subscription yeah, for for, yeah. for specifically for these listeners that are really you know busting our chops the while best, we're away. The best listeners, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. The it's chaos agents. We got to butter them up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that. But I think it's worth checking in first of all on your honeymoon. How did it go? Honeymoon was great. Uh, we were gone uh, full three weeks or three weeks and some change, actually. The first time I think I've ever taken that big of a chunk off of uh, off of work. Uh, and it was absolutely delightful. Absolutely delightful. Yeah, yeah. And one of the coolest parts was that although we had the wedding in September, mm. we intentionally saved it now for the winter uh, to, well, one thing, it kind of extends the wedding feeling, which mm-hmm, is a mm-hmm. bit nice because this whole honeymoon phase right yeah uh, exists yeah. for a reason uh but the other one is you get to just cut your winter short which is definitely the best part 100 percent. in that sense go to the yeah. southern hemisphere exactly and yeah. that's the key right the moment you say okay we're gonna do our honeymoon in january you start looking southern yeah. hemisphere and or closest to uh to the equator right and that's what we did so we uh we spent three weeks in total a bit of argentina a bit of chile and then uh, after those two weeks, uh, we came back halfway-ish uh, to Jamaica. Oh, really? And we spent a week at the beach just relaxing. Favorite part? Any highlights? Favorite part. Now, and that's the interesting thing. So going in, you plan this trip. Uh, a lot of what you plan while you're reading the guidebooks, talking to people is Patagonia, right? Mm, mm. And when you think Patagonia, you think Argentina. Argentinian Patagonia, right? Mm-hmm. The dark horse, the whole trip, what we didn't expect was that Chile would come out on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, blown away by Chile. Came in not knowing even that much about the country, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, big underdog when you talk about that. Even when you just talk about Patagonia, yeah, yeah. you hear so much about Argentinian Patagonia. What it turned out to be was all the breathtaking views were actually on the Chilean side. Jeez. The Argentinian one, a lot more arid and, and so forth. Huh. And uh, the food, just a lot better on the Chilean side, too. No way. Yeah. What about vibes? Better vibes? Now, the vibes is interesting because yeah. they are they are so different. And mm. that's where you see uh, where did people immigrate to these relatively new countries uh, 100 years ago from. Yeah. Argenti- Argentinians, super chaotic. Uh, seven out of ten of them have yeah. Italian ancestry, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So no surprise there. Yeah. I can say that because I also yeah. have Italian ancestry. That's true. That's uh, <laughs> Being Italian. Uh, yeah. 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 The, the Chileans, actually, they, they are much more mixed. So mm. the European part is actually also quite German to mm. an extent. So okay. totally different from the Jeez. Italians. But also there's a lot more uh, still of the, of the indigenous people in okay. Chile. Yeah. Argentina doesn't have as much of that influence uh, anymore. So that kind of makes... 
for a totally different vibe also you see it in the cuisine like yeah. it's a the chilean one is a lot closer to to the peruvian one which mm -hmm. is like one of the best in the world and and also a bit more refined more andean you start to throw in quinoa and these types of Jeez. things whereas the argentines all they eat is beef Jeez. now some of the best beef i've ever eaten yeah, but yeah. like I, i can't have a steak for dinner every night no 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 like do they do those uh pepitos like steak <laughs> yeah. those pepitos. i'm quite a fan of those i have to say i would go just for that yeah but I mean, geez, okay speaking of pepitos actually yeah, i have okay. a, a good friend of mine uh well actually side but when we were at my bachelor party yeah exactly that uh, was pepito who, who ate a pepito uh an argentinian pepito yeah. which we would describe as what a steak sandwich pretty much yeah. that's how i would call it yeah. and yeah. he was put out of commission uh of the of the bachelor party due Now, to uh, yeah debatable illness. debatable because i also had a pepito that day and i was not put out of commission most of us did right? yeah exactly yeah. so i i would definitely question the uh, <laughs> i the allegations are, are spurious and i i won't stand for them but no uh, and the argentine argentinian people also won't absolutely yeah no but definitely chile uh the dark horse love chile also liked argentina don't get me wrong but uh, mm -hmm. i think we went for argentina mm. we'll go back for chile wow yeah i'm gonna go out and say that and i might just steal your advice and go straight to chile and skip argentina altogether yeah i'll sell you the itinerary i'll, I'll buy yeah. it actually on a side note i've been using chat gpt for travel itineraries and it's actually a great solution. i can imagine yeah, yeah i can imagine so don't keep your keep your itinerary i'll take it from a from all right GPT. all right and uh yeah and then the last week we ended up in in jamaica so that was really? like yeah. a bit also like a compromise between me and maria because maria was all about like the the beach uh mm. destination so we managed to mix in you know uh argentina chile with a lot of hiking and quite yeah. intense and then mm. we kind of like felt as much as you can earn something on your honeymoon yeah. that we earned the week at the beach 100%. right and uh, yeah. and jamaica is just vibes i mean yeah. the the people are uh, are brilliant and uh, yeah. something well you'll appreciate this uh what i really liked is people just come up to you and they give you a fist bump and they say respect more respect more. and they really genuinely aren't like trying to get anything out of you no, they're just that's yeah. like the greeting because this, this is terrible right because the the tourism that i have done would lead me to suspect that anytime anyone approaches you under any circumstance when you're traveling, it's like, because they're either going to scam you or yeah. steal something from you yeah. or, you know. So it's amazing and refreshing to think that there's a place left in the world where people will come up to you and it's literally only to wish you respect. Respect. I mean, what more do you want than just respect, man? Literally, yeah. find out what it means to me. Or yes. And on, on that note, actually, that you mentioned, <laughs> yeah. the, the stress sometimes of traveling oh, yeah. far away and going to a market yeah. in a city, being harangued by people. Mm. In Argentina and Chile, you're going through these markets, a lot of like artisanal nice stuff. Mm. Even I, you know, some of the few that Maria didn't have to drag me through. Mm. Mm. Uh, the vendors are not pushy, pushy, yeah, like when you're yeah. in some parts of Southeast Asia, for example. Oh, yeah. When you're in Bangkok, you're just like, get me back to the hotel. Exactly, like, exactly. I, can't, I don't want to negotiate every part of my life for the next yeah. two weeks. There, it's very easy going sweet so i think you would appreciate that absolutely yeah. i'm not a big fan of being harangued i can tell you so uh, yeah 100 add it to the list yeah so yeah that's that's my update there, there and you uh, and you're back readier than ever to postulate and to podcast away so uh, <laughs> great to have you back and i think the listeners will agree it'll be good to get back into the swing of things absolutely and, uh, into episode eight yeah up next with music in film Welcome back. Here we are, uh, ready to discuss music in film. 
so how did this come about? We were uh, we we're discussing potential topics for the show, as we always do, uh, even from my honeymoon. Uh, I stay in contact with <laughs> priorities. <Neil. laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and in the midst of doing that, actually, they released the the Oscar nominations. Mm. So uh, and then you know you you kind of look at the categories, and then what what popped out to me. Uh, we're not going to discuss those nominations in detail because I think we're both still playing catch up on the on the shortlist. Oh, totally. I I, I yeah. wouldn't do a good job of it. To be honest, I, no. I need to I need to see them. Yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. not ready for that. Yeah. But one of the categories uh, that well, there's multiple categories actually around uh, music in film, right? So we talked about like actually, you know, like the impact music has on on film and sometimes what makes it memorable, what can make or break a film. Um, in the background is very much uh, the music, whether that be the soundtracks or the scores and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. it's an area we wanted to delve in deeper. Uh, the moment we started doing that, it turned into, you know, a whole podcast series in and of itself. Absolutely. It's a monster topic, so much so, and especially the level of academia around it. Because like yeah. I know that film and film studies has a lot of, you know, academia, this entire undergrads and masters and everything you can do. But just this topic of music for film is like insanely huge and a, a rabbit hole that we couldn't possibly... Uh, explore every part of on this episode. Right. So we've we've uh, sharpened it down a little bit, and we've made this this the first in what could be multiple episodes exploring music and film, and uh, starting off I suppose a bit lighter, right? So we're taking it in kind of broad strokes this time. Yeah. And then in in subsequent episodes, maybe we'll get more sharp on particular parts of uh, of this huge topic. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the interesting thing is like when we discussed one hit wonders, you mentioned all the academia behind it. Is mm. that whenever it comes to something with music mm. there are just so many data points that yeah. it it is an absolute you know paradise for uh, for data scientists in that sense so um so yeah so what we decided to start with was focusing specifically on film scores yes. right yeah. not soundtracks so not song music not eye of the tiger in rocky mm-hmm. for example but mm-hmm. rather the Rocky theme flying high now. And exactly. So, so. And even like, so we're talking soundtracks, not, sorry, we're talking scores, not soundtracks. Mm-hmm. So it rules out things like Baby Driver, which is a, a great collection of songs in a movie, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. Purple that's Rain. 100%. So that's for a future episode. And we're focusing in on themes in particular. And mm-hmm. like, that's actually, it requires a little bit of explanation, but uh, you, you'll hear once we get into it, the, the greatest of all time. But like a theme is something that uh, not only is it written specifically for the film, but it comes back at key moments in the film and it's kind of used to highlight certain characters at certain moments. So it's, uh, it is still quite specific we're getting, even though it's within this quite broad uh, mm-hmm. topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whereas you and I, uh, and the general population, I guess, takes uh, music and film and scores uh, for granted nowadays, that mm-hmm. wasn't always the case. So give us some yeah. background. Exactly. So like as you can hear, we jumped off into the deep end on this topic. And one of the first things you, you find when you start researching is like, where where did it come from? Was it always part of film? Like, did, did film and sound go hand in hand? And of course, anyone who who knows a little bit about film knows that silent movies were the the starting point, right? The uh, the talkies came later, as we as we all know. But those silent movies uh, were often played back in a theater where there would be a live piano player playing along with the mm-hmm. uh, with the score, and that would either be to sheet music that they had lying around, like some classical piece or whatever. But in any case, it was incidental to the the plot. It was actually just kind of so that you weren't sitting in awkward silence. You know, it was it was not like part of the storytelling. Uh, and interestingly enough, you, you see that uh, in the 30s it was, that all of a sudden this idea of dramatic scores, as in that the music matches the action of the piece and actually uh, amplifies or even uh, makes it even more enjoyable, 
starts to explode in popularity. And uh, there's some really interesting examples over the years, and I think we will get into those in other episodes. But uh, yeah, the, the evolution was, first of all, that music would be added as a score at the start and the end of a film. So uh, if, if a film was otherwise just full, full of dialogue, it would be silent entirely throughout, but it would have a theme at the start that would get played at the end, and it was mm-hmm. a nice way to kind of wrap up and maybe reflect some of the themes and the emotions of, mm-hmm. the, of the film. And then uh, it was only, as I said, in the 30s when the music would be interspersed within the film itself. And then you start to get this this comparison between what they call diegetic and non-diegetic scores. And mm-hmm. again, not to get too uh, into the detail <laughs> here, but a diegetic score being one that's uh, happening in the film itself. So it's like if a radio in the scene is playing the music, that's a diegetic score versus a non-diegetic is one that the characters can't hear, right. but we, the audience, hear, right? So anyway, this all starts to uh, explode and then we get the golden age of uh, of themes and you'll hear throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s we have some of the yeah. most instantly recognizable sounds of all time like i think it's probably fair to say like some of the ones we're going to talk about today it, you would be hard pushed to find a person in the like modern world that hasn't heard at least one of these you know right. they're so pervasive it's insane and uh we'll have a lot of uh, we'll have a lot of postulations linked to this but i think the key here is just to, to consider as we go through uh, which of these films it was successful purely, or not purely, but due in large part to the score, because some of these scores are seriously, absolutely top notch yeah. and so impactful. Yeah. But, and, uh, yeah. And I think what you see with that evolution is that uh, it becomes a really powerful tool for mm. the director and the producer, uh, the, the score and, and, and the role of music. Uh, in those films uh, what does it say though about about us as a species that mm. we need that music to invoke emotion oh, and 100%. to be steered through what we should be feeling in a film we are that's one of my main takeaways from all the research here is we are a very basic uh, species <laughs> right that you can manipulate us incredibly easily right and in fact the 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 craziest thing about it is we think we're not easily manipulated right but uh, there was a study done, which we might talk about, where they played the same scene with one soundtrack, which was happy, and another soundtrack, which was sad. And the level of detail remembered by the participants was different depending on what music was playing. Right. So they, they, one of them remembered it as like a more uh, positive scene, and another remembered it as like a completely terrible weather scene. And it was the exact same footage. It was just the uh, yeah the, the music that changed. Mm-hmm. But uh, so crazy the, the influence that music can have, and crazy that... Uh, it's just as impactful as it is in in the world of film today. It's it's literally as key a component as anything else. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I think we should get into some of the uh, the top scores and the top themes of all time. Yeah, let's get into it. And I think there's no better place to start whenever you're discussing some of the the greatest themes of all time when it comes to scores is with John Williams, the oh, man himself. Just unquestionable. Like he's one of those people that you kind of forget. You know, like. Mm-hmm. We, we take him for granted. He's he's still alive and kicking. He's 90 years old, right? But yeah. his impact is just inestimable. He's he's an absolute legend of the game. And I think we, we break out the word goat quite a lot, you know, but I think this is one where you can be damn sure he is the goat of goats, right? To right. use the parlance of the youth of Indeed, today. we are targeting yeah, yeah. Those, those Zoomers, <laughs> those, or what are they? Yeah, the Gen Zs. Yeah, we're, we're all... Are they Zs now? Yeah. Or whichever. Whatever the TikTok generation is, yeah. Yeah, the TikTok him. generation, which doesn't watch films. So why would they listen exactly. to a podcast about films? We but they do. Adapt. We need to adapt to them. We've got to. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, John Williams. I mean, John Williams, for those that don't know, we're talking about themes uh, from Star Wars, Home Alone, Jurassic Park, 
Schindler's List. I mean, just listen to the range on this, right? Mm. The Patriot, Catch Me If You Can, Harry Potter, Munich, The Adventures of Tintin. I mean, you can okay. go on and on. Uh, Indiana Jones, uh, in case I didn't mention that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's just the, the list is endless. He's been there for, for some of the biggest moments in, in film, E.T., uh, it it doesn't end. Dracula, Superman, and I didn't even mention Jaws. Yeah, like and every single one of them. These are the type of scores that you can stop a person in the street and say, "Hey, what's the what's the tune for Star Wars?" And you'll get someone to sing it to you straight away. Every single one of these, you can pretty much. Or I mean, not not as the, some of the later ones, right? But some of those big hitter ones, they are literally part of our culture now. You know, like, absolutely. You can tell a joke where it goes like a. Da-na. Mm-hmm. Like and everyone's like, ah, oh, the Jaws team. Like it's, yeah. it's literally embedded now in our in our psyche. It's crazy. It's, it's everywhere you you go. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been to football matches, for example, where the team is walking out to uh, to uh, to the Empire Strikes Back, right? Yeah. Like stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And it's just because it's something that will appeal to the masses. We connect with it instantly. Yeah, yeah it's like a it's like a language. Or it's like a part of our vocabulary now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So John Williams, I mean, just. Uh, the goat uh, and an absolute workhorse as well. He's still doing up to three to five of these per year. Ninety years. Ninety old. years old. Yeah. He's worked a lot with uh, with Mr. Spielberg, indeed. Uh, for example, yeah. still doing today. So uh, definitely someone with the with the credentials uh, within within that niche of the industry. Now, mm. um, you had uh, a sp- another score which uh, which you have very dear to your heart. Yeah, which I absolutely. To talk about. So one, yeah, because with John Williams, it's like it's hard to separate the film from the score in the sense that the films were massive. Pretty much every film you you mentioned there was gigantic and probably would have succeeded in its own right, perhaps without the score, right? That mm-hmm. The films are great. Like, if you can't really talk about Harry Potter, Star Wars, Jaws, Jurassic Park. Like, those were going to do fine, I think, no matter what. But I think we sometimes forget a particular franchise, and I'm talking about Lord of the Rings, Howard Shore's work on the, on the score for mm-hmm. that, where, like... Still, we have to appreciate that The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, when it came out, was a massive, massive, massive gamble in many ways. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and financially, I'm sure like the budget was huge. New Line put a lot of faith into Peter Jackson to, to, to make it happen. But like the, that film could easily have quickly become a, a meme or like a, a, a joke or like mm-hmm. a laughing stock, right? Because these are like people dressed up in funny costumes. Fantasy movies are basically unheard of at this time, or at least very, yeah. very low in the cultural like uh, interest. And uh, it would it required basically a home run of fantastic directing, writing, editing, sound, whatever. And the score to that franchise, to Fellowship and to the Two Towers and Return of the King, is actually phenomenal. Like you mm-hmm. can you can just put it on and it's it's just in, incredibly it's beautiful music. moving. Yeah. But it's also and this was the point I wanted to try and land somehow. It has a high feeling of like dignity to it, right? It adds a, a kind of a classiness and a kind of a, an adult kind of grown-upness to the Lord of the Rings films that I think without that soundtrack and with a bad soundtrack, it would have actually potentially risked not being taken seriously. If you if you just think think to a moment in The Fellowship or one of those movies where, I mean, remember, like, uh, Elijah Wood's performance was sometimes a little bit mm-hmm. on the kind of hammy, kind of like, oh, Sam, like really kind of... And where is he now, Elijah Wood? Yeah, also, yeah, for, and we could we could postulate a little bit about his, right. uh, his merits, let's say, but... Um, I think that film really skirts the line of being a little bit funny, like unintentionally mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But what holds it all together, that film, and what keeps it in the realm of like pristine top level uh, blockbuster cinema is the score, I have to say. Okay. Or at least that was my postulation. Yeah. So to put it another way, my postulation could be 
no score from Howard Shore in Lord of the Rings, I don't think you have a successful uh, franchise. Potentially, you don't even have the sequels, and then you don't have the the spin-offs with The Hobbit and everything else, right? Which could have been fun better, you right. could argue, right? Right, right. But I think uh, we what probably would have happened is you get Fellowship, it doesn't go huge, you get Two Towers and you get Return of the King, but like they, people don't really flock to them, or they're kind of like, yeah, those films are a bit weird or whatever, you know? Like, right, I think right. I think the soundtrack helped to kind of bridge a divide between this isn't for me versus like this is this is amazing cinema, you know? Yeah. So I wanted I never to, thought about it that way, yeah. but I think you make you make a very good case, a very solid postulation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it would be great if we could somehow drop the music under what I just said and see if that adds uh, any credence to. Uh, we could uh, we could try we could the, the royalty free version of, yeah, exactly. uh, of Howard Shore. Some kind of a YouTube cover of it or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But definitely wanted to touch in on on Lord of the Rings because I think it, and Howard Shore, by the way, a great catalog of other work outside of, mm-hmm. of Lord of the Rings. Right, but uh, I just have to highlight that one in particular. But before we move on, I wanted to jump back actually to John Williams mm-hmm. because you mentioned a lot of films there, yeah. and we didn't really hear from you of. Of those, do you have one that stands out? Is there one that you uh, particularly like? Yeah, I actually do. So I think it's it's difficult to make uh, an argument against, for example, a Star Wars or a Jaws, just for for how iconic they are. Mm. But my personal favorite uh, score of his is actually in another Spielberg film, mm. uh, an, an early earlier uh, Spielberg film with a young Christian Bale, mm. and a relatively young, because to me he's always been old, John Malkovich. Uh, Empire of the Sun. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. I, I can I can recommend it now. Mm. And a big part of how why why I can recommend it is the score uh, and the mood fit with the film. This mm. is one of the instances where yes, the directing from Spielberg is great. You can already see the acting chops of Christian Bale. Without that score, mm. I don't think I enjoy that film. I don't feel the emotion. So part of the reason I, I love that film is the mm. emotions it really brings up in me every time. The film essentially, it's about uh, you know the 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 onset of the of the Second World War uh, for this British expat family in Shanghai uh, mm. at the time. Mm. Uh, essentially, he Christian Bale gets separated from his parents, ends up in uh, in a prison camp there. Uh, and uh, just what John Williams does there uh, with that score uh, is the exact uh, right balance between being an accompaniment uh, for the film, which uh, the film could not do without, mm-hmm. so adding significant value mm-hmm. without over-engineering, without yeah. taking over, right? Yeah. So beautiful score because of its fit with the film and the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Without you know, uh, overdoing it, and that was a, that was a point we can kind of uh, dig into, right? Because uh, when we talk about why is a score good or bad, right? It's it, a score sitting at the front of the mix that blasts you in the face over and over again, and throughout the film where you're just like, okay, I get it. That's actually even if it's great music, it's going to do the opposite of what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And we were, when we were talking in in preparing for this episode, you made a very good point, which was that like actually some great scores, by definition, by them doing their job, you don't notice them. Right. Right. Yeah. Only when you dig deep into it like we're doing now. Mm. Um, and you, I think ideally you're coming away from the cinema. Uh, cin- do you remember cinemas? It's this thing people mm. used to go to, you know, I know to, to watch streaming? a film on a big screen. I know streaming. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you must be part of this TikTok generation. Sure, yeah. um, but uh, you, ideally you should come away from a film. Uh, talking first and foremost about the mm. picture because yeah. it is a visual medium. Mm. Uh, and then I did used to say, hey, also, 
the music, the score was mm-hmm. spot on. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it should never be, oh, that score was so loud or or anything from from the other side of the spectrum relative to yeah. to yeah. the score. Not the to film. not to throw shade on any particular film or composer. <laughs> well, although let's uh, well, let's get into that later. But, we'll get uh, into that. Yeah, but hundred percent. And when we were talking about it, it reminded me of. Uh, like I've been, I've been playing bass in in a band for for quite a while in multiple mm-hmm. bands over the years, and it's the same exact thing that bass is like the underappreciated kind of uh, support act of of any band, but its absence is felt more than any actually. That if you remove the bass from a particular performance or, or group, it its absence is what makes you go, eh, I don't really like this, and you can't mm-hmm. even particularly if you're not like into instruments or if you don't know what's doing what in a band. It, you can't maybe not even say why you don't like the song, but that that would be why, right? I have the same a bit with movies where probably I didn't even realize why I liked a movie so much was potentially due to the score, right? Mm-hmm. Or a lack thereof in the case of No Country for Old Men. But mm-hmm. like the, I think it's it's very hard actually for me to sit in a movie and be actively listening to the score. It's more like how much I enjoy it overall is colored by how good or how apt or how well-placed the score is. Yeah. Right. It's the complementar- mm. complementarity and the inseparability. Mm. So mm. when you take that score, no matter how beautiful it is, and you're listening to it on your Spotify or whatever, you're replaying the movie in mm. your head mm-hmm. visually. Yeah. The inseparability going both ways, I think, is uh, is key to, to what makes a good score. A Absolutely. balanced score. 100%. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's just absolutely fascinating. And I mentioned at the start the diegetic versus non-diegetic thing. Mm-hmm. And want to definitely flag for any listeners who want a great example of that minority report, right? There's a scene in that. Tom yeah. Cruise. Yeah. If you want to look into suspense, right? Because that, that film is like uh, a great example of how to toy with suspense and, and creating and releasing suspense, attention mm-hmm. for an audience. There's a scene in that film where they go, uh, he's he's already rescued the, uh, the what do you call them? You know, the the... He's rescued the main precog anyway, um, Agatha, I think. Right. And they're going through a mall. And in that shopping mall, in the scene, is uh, like a classical uh, song playing. Mm -hmm. Nothing tense at all, but it's a chase scene, right? Right. So we as as the audience then are challenged a little bit and maybe led through the scene in a more relaxed way than... than, uh, than could be otherwise, right? So even though it's a tense scene, the cops are looking for them, there's also a little bit of bonding, a little bit of character building there. They're, they're interacting with each mm-hmm. other for the first time. And the, the the song playing is very chill, very relaxed, jazzy. And although it's in the scene, it's playing in the shopping mall, it's also a decision by Spielberg to try and kind of uh, take away the tension at that point. And right. to say, despite this being a, a, a half an hour chase scene, at this particular po- point, even though they're still being chased, I'm releasing the tension through that song yeah. and then bring it back. Yeah. It's uh, it's masterful stuff, but yeah. uh, as I say, there's just as you can already hear, listener. There are so many alleyways and paths you can take down this particular topic, but definitely Absolutely. encourage uh, a more a more open ear as you watch your next film and yeah. see see what you notice. And and as you mentioned, one of your favorite films uh, does not have a score at all. No yeah. country for old men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who needs them? I mean, yeah. like uh, huge exception, right? But yeah. uh, they pulled it off the Coen Brothers. I think it's sometimes you can be incredibly bold and it pays off, and, yeah. and that's that's one example. And then. I think were the f- script not as good, were the cinema was the cin- cinematography not as good? For example, um, probably that would have fallen flat as well. Where mm-hmm. people would have come out saying eh, it was kind of boring, you know, like because you, you're basically as a director there saying, "I've got this. The, the 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 script, the action, the actors, the film will stand on its own. It doesn't need music." Right. And I mean, the tension is there; it's palpable. We talked about it before that the the real tense moments of that film need, need no amplification. They are like 
already yeah full power <laughs> you know so yeah i guess the point is like it has its place right it has to be it has to be chosen well and that can also be a decision not to have a score yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and then just a, a couple other notable mentions maybe before we dive into uh, into some of the other composers and, and some postulations we've, uh, we've prepared. Uh, for me, uh, one where, again, you have that perfect fit and, and symbiosis, if you will, uh, iconic, The Godfather, mm-hmm. composed mm-hmm. By, by Nino Rota, the theme song there. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, it, it sticks with you. I was uh, doing a Godfather tour uh, in... <laughs> in uh end of september early october uh yes the same one they do in the white lotus but Before i did it did before it that was yeah, released yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you Job had, had uh, to know about that, yeah. uh and uh at one point uh to the annoyance of of my wife and and my brother uh i just put on the theme song on my phone as we strolled around that town yeah, yeah. and it it made me feel like a protagonist in the film for for a short while, as like Michael Corleone. I fully himself. buy it, and I fully support you doing it. And my my heart breaks for the residents of that town who every day this is what they're seeing and hearing. Fortunately, there are very few, uh, and and mostly really. over eighty five. So yeah. they yeah, were yeah, yeah. napping, you know. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Godfather, incredible. It's I, I I couldn't imagine it without that score. Yeah. Also because it just lives on. Uh, it's a it's a timeless hundred percent. And talking of dignity, I think just like Lord of the Rings, that's a, a score that adds a level of kind of class or, or mm-hmm. dignity to a film mm-hmm. that could be dismissed as being a bit kind of uh, schlocky or violent or kind of right. uh, stereotype. It adds this layer of like, hey, hold on, we this is under like we we know what we're doing here, kind of right know, from the very start from the yeah. opening scene, right? So uh, yeah. and this emotional depth uh, is very difficult to have that be. Uh, what we see it now is a film a lot actually about family mm-hmm. uh, rather than uh, mafia, for mm. example, mm. although it is about both and it is also about gangsters. Yeah. But adding that emotional depth, a big part of it is the score. Yeah, uh, these are terrible people doing terrible things. But oh, by the way, they're also a family. Yeah. Uh, without the score, we probably don't uh, don't get to that with the same level of depth, Absolutely. Uh, I think. So, Absolutely. so that's one for me. Um, uh, another one is, uh, and for a very different reason, is Chariots of Fire, uh, a film many people have not seen. Well, I'm guilty uh, of this, I have yeah. to say. I mean, uh, produced by, actually, uh, Dodi Fayed and uh, yeah. Mr. Fayed, his father, and, you know, Princess Diana, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so on and so forth. One of those uh, yeah. Beautiful film. I've seen it once or twice. Fine. But the score is the most iconic part oh, of like that film. a million times more. And it's been included in other films yeah, uh, yeah. without people making that link. It's, it's it's another one of those touch points. And actually, I just remembered now, uh, there's an amazing clip from Mr. Bean at the Olympics opening in London. Yes. Where he's doing, he's like playing uh, the synth player in the in the orchestra for that song being played. It's yeah. a whole sketch where... Da, na, 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 well, na, that part is played on... Woodwind strings piano, right? All but right. there's also a drone underneath that goes bim 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 bim, and that's there for the whole song. Okay. And basically, the gag is that Mr. Bean is the one tapping the yeah. the one key that goes bim 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 oh, bim. So like legend. while he does that, he checks his phone. He like you know goes yeah. uh, goes crawling off. He drops something. Like it's a brilliant sketch. Yeah. But I think it only works because that that song Chariots of Fire is literally just everyone knows it straight away. Right. And I, I'm 100% with you that I haven't seen the film. I'll probably never see the film. No. But it actually, that song uh, has like a, 
a connection in my actual life, like beyond the film. Because when I was like very, very short uh, story, but when I was 12, I did athletics, went to a running competition and the organizers... Almost went to the Olympics. Very close, very yeah. close. And uh, the organizers of that running competition had a little parade at the start where all the <laughs> schools would walk around and they played the Chariots of Fire song, right? And uh, that was my first time hearing it. My mm-hmm. mom pointed out to me being like, oh, you know, that's a, a song from the movie. And that's always this like fond memory now of, of like from my life. And I haven't seen the film. No. So another example where the, the music can not only be bigger than the film, as you've c- correctly mm-hmm. stated, but also just transcends the film itself. It's like it's, it's something else beyond the film, yeah. despite being written for the film. And, and the emotion it invokes, even yeah. if you don't know that's a film about, you know, running yeah. at the Olympics. Yeah, In yeah, fact, yeah. the emotion it invokes, it is incredibly inspirational yeah, exactly. it makes you want to go out there and sprint to the finish I'm gonna line. go right now yeah actually, <laughs> we'll finish the podcast <laughs> first but yes uh, please yeah. um so yeah those are those were just some some notable mentions uh Absolutely. and then uh well composers other than john williams yeah we have to we have to do it listener we we've picked uh, some targets and it's not going to be pretty we, some of them we want to talk about uh, yeah. in a bit more depth there will be some postulation here um, a reminder as ever that uh, if you agree, disagree, uh, indifferent, we want to hear from you. So uh, if during any of this you, you you have a reaction, you have something you want to say, you can always catch us on Twitter, on email. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. but let's, uh, without further ado, let's get into some specifics. Yes. So there has been one composer in particular, which he's been around quite a while. Uh, and I'd say really in the last 10 to 15 years, he's mm-hmm. really come out as, oh, this guy. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um as uh, as the uh, many would invoke him as the goat, this yeah, person. That's generous. Should we name him? We should. You wanna you wanna give us a name? Starts with a Z. Starts with a Z. Hans Zimmer, <laughs> <laughs> also known as. Ugh. Like okay, and I'm just to, just to <laughs> set the scene here. Sorry, we're not about to trash. We're not about to say he's absolutely terrible. He's not right. Um, I think uh, enough people enjoy his work that it's like clearly that he's doing something right, and you know he's obviously a top tier composer. Like so, we're not we're not here to just completely say he's he's god awful, right? They'll come for us either way. Exactly, but I do want to at least a bit like the discussion with uh, Christoph Waltz. I do want to at least offer <laughs> a particularly uh, n- yeah perhaps nuanced view on on his work, right? And I, I know you have a similar point here, so maybe let's. I don't want to you know steal your thunder here either. But no. the point I was going to make is around. Two of the things that people praise from his recent work, which are in, uh, te- no, it was in Dunkirk and in uh, Inception, right? So I can mm. talk about those two examples. Yeah. In Dunkirk, he heavily interlaces uh, this kind of ticking sound basically all the way through. And all, at almost all times in the film, there's some tick of some speed going. It'll either be just like, tick, tick, like one second or it'll be tick, 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 tick. Mm-hmm. And it's used like to some effect to increase the, the level of tension or not. And in that same film, uh, in Dunkirk, there's a thing called the Shepherd Scale, which you can Google it. It's it's basically a tone that always sounds like it's rising, basically, right. and progressively uh, throughout, ex- right. even though yeah. it, even though it's not. It's right. like a, it's optional illusion or an audible, audible illusion. illusion. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, it <laughs> uh, he, he, he took that ter- that tone and interlaced it with three different um, frequencies, uh-huh. and he used it to mark what part of the film you're in. Right, so it's like. If you're in the fighter pilot part, it's at a very high frequency, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one example. And then I'll come back to it. The other one is in Inception, where uh, when they've gone through subsequent layers of dreams, the song Je ne regrette rien, that uh, mm-hmm. is slowed down subsequently, and like more and more and more to match the time dilation that's happening in the movie. And it turns into just 
bum, bum, because that that song in its normal pace goes bum, 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 bum. Mm-hmm. so anyway all of that to say that I had that took me like two minutes to even explain right right and nobody who saw the film on their own without googling it noticed either of those things right, right. these are these are like things that you have to be told either through YouTube videos or through Googling or whatever. And you can go back and go, oh, wow, that's so cool. Like, I love how he did that. But that doesn't aid your enjoyment of the film because you're not going to notice it when you're watching the film. So the the phrase I wrote down here in our notes was just like, it's, it's a little bit like overly intellectual a bit. It's like coolness for the sake of that. And like, it's not actually amplifying or my enjoyment of the film. Mm-hmm. Was this? I, we didn't actually align too much on what you were going to say, but I guess it was somewhat along these lines. Right? No, I'll, g- I'll give you uh, an easy parallel. Uh, he is, uh, in my mind, the Christopher Nolan of composers. Well, there you go. And I don't yeah. mean that necessarily as a compliment. I mean that as over-engineering, over-intellectualizing. Yeah. Uh, and quite frankly, trying to steal the shows. If, if I look at Dunkirk, mm. I don't need that score in it. Yeah. It's so obvious what that movie is. And... Mm. lovely film but I think it could have actually been a better film yeah, without, all without him making all this noise because yeah. a lot of what I remember in terms of feedback when people came out of that film was that was one of the loudest films yeah. I've ever seen yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's an aspect of there where you say war and so forth it needs to be loud it shouldn't sound necessarily pretty mm. but also it shouldn't be his score which attempts to you know hijack the entire film yeah I kind of know at this point, after you know, a couple decades of watching more films, what I should be feeling. And anybody that's mm. picked up half half a history textbook, you know, where it's going. I don't need his over aid mm. uh, in terms of uh, interpreting that. Yeah, I think like that film is one that could have. It's like No Country for Old Men probably could have done with no soundtrack. Right? I really think it could have. It yeah. was probably a missed opportunity in that yeah. sense, or something a lot more subtle. Yeah, I mean, take it down a bunch of notches, mm, you know, mm, like mm. you know the the hand motion Ross Geller does mm, uh, in mm. Friends to have yeah. him take it down exactly, a notch. exactly. Someone should have done that hand motion to Mr. Hansen. I think he it was overdue. Yeah. And actually, I just realized now as I sit here, probably I mentioned Tenet earlier on. I was talking about Inception, just to be clear. I'm sure the listener picked up on that already. But uh, Tenet being the other example where the sound was just too loud overall. Uh, both the soundtrack and the dialogue too low, and it was just yeah, a real mess. We talked about it before, but uh, yeah, I think. And they uh, intellectualize why that is, and you mm, say, yeah, and you no, still, no. the conclusion is still, I don't care. Yeah, I want the freaking subtitles. Yeah. yeah, like uh, more and more. I mean, we we've been big Nolan fans, obviously, uh, and then we, we've both been on the slippery slope of kind yeah. of losing faith a little bit. Looking forward to Oppenheimer, though, all the same. Yeah, let's see if he's still as high off of his own supply as uh, he was while making Tenet. Because, you have to think uh, that maybe Tenet was the thing that made him think, oh, maybe I'm uh, not such a hotshot overall. Maybe mm. I need to actually put the work in and, you know, like uh, <laughs> listen to some of my criticisms. Yeah, Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, he's obsessed. Uh, we won't get too much into Chris Nolan, but he's mm. obsessed with time. So yeah, I'm yeah. curious what, what he's going to do in, uh, in Oppenheimer, which I think we're able to see now. Oh, right? right, really? Well, it's nominated, so huh. I imagine it. Uh, no. Isn't really? it nominated no. for something? It's nominated. It's not out yet. No, no, no. No. I'm pretty sure. Ah, no. It's a later release. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. filmed. It's completed production, I think, but it's not quite. Ah, there okay. Yet. It'll yeah. be a summer Nolan release. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. save the cinema again, for real this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We promise. Yeah, Good. but that's that's our Zimmer. Uh, <laughs> that's our Zimmer postulation. postulation. Not the so, uh, not the most generous, let's say. But uh, let us know what you think about uh, about Hans Zimmer. Um, 
Now, next one, um, in, a, in a different light, mm. to, to eulogize a little bit, Ennio Morricone. Mm. There uh, we go. Passed away in, in 2020. Ennio Morricone, you'll know from early on, Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns. Mm-hmm. I'll get mm-hmm. into that. And later on, still doing work, you know, almost into his 90s. Uh, with Quentin Tarantino yeah. winning an Oscar for the score of Hateful Eight, but Ooh. also doing Django Unchained and Glorious Bastards. I mean, uh, Tarantino, being a student of the game, goes mm. and plucks one of the stars from the past he and resurrects uh, his career. Yeah, yeah. Right? he doesn't miss. He, when, he, when he spots talent, Tarantino, he does not hesitate. He's like, yeah. Get on board. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. collaboration. And then, of course, Morricone having done uh, the film Cinema Paradiso, which in mm. 1990 won the best foreign language film at mm. uh, at Great. the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you've seen it? I've actually seen it. Yeah. It's it's beautiful, right? Yeah, and yeah. A big part of that is the score. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Beautiful film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, so so that's uh, and then he did Once Upon a Time in America mm-hmm. uh, again with Sergio Leone, but not Spaghetti Western in Brooklyn with De Niro. Um, so. Morricone, though, my postulation about him is uh, in the 60s, he is scoring Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns, mm, right? Mm. Spaghetti Westerns because essentially on a lower budget they were being filmed in, in, in the south of Spain or, or in Italy at yeah. the time. Uh, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood alludes to it again, Tarantino, yeah, student yeah. of the game. Yeah. Respect. Um, so he's scoring those films. Uh, if you go back and watch any of these, it's not like they're they're incredibly twisted or unpredictable plots mm-hmm. or uh, or or the cinematography is good sure I'm uh, I'm sure the the directing of Sergio Leone is is fine a lot of what makes these uh, timeless though isn't just the stare and growl of Clint Eastwood for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. it's the score that accompanies that yeah 100%. done by Morricone and a lot of these uh, you know cowboy western sounds that you would associate oh that's that's the the cowboy stare sound mm-hmm. and all of this that's the shootout sound that was in morricone in the spaghetti westerns talk about a meme as in like his his soundtrack to the good about the ugly or whichever was it good about the ugly that had that yes yeah so that and again has gone far beyond the touch points of even that film mm-hmm. where i can play that sound in isolation and everyone's like oh yeah shootout cowboys you know yeah. it gets referenced in cartoons and everything fistful of Just, dollars all yeah, of those yeah, right yeah. And now what I want to get to is at the time, Clint Eastwood starring in these was coming into his 30s, mm-hmm. a relative nobody. Clint Eastwood today, arguably one of the characters uh, that has had the biggest influence on Hollywood in yeah. the last 60 to 70 years, writing, directing, acting and stuff, still now into his 90s, another yeah. one of these crazy workaholics. Mm-hmm. Anything he makes uh, essentially uh, gets nominations here or there. He has right? a free pass, basically. It's he's like, uh, he has an open invitation to the Oscars, and <laughs> anything crazy. he makes, he's like, get in here. It's crazy. Also, yeah. uh, incredibly fit for his age. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in shape. That Clint Eastwood diet. But, anyways, yeah. at the time, he's a relative nobody. Mm. These films, I believe, without that Morricone score, uh, do not carry that weight. Yeah. If Clint goes another couple of years without being discovered, he potentially doesn't go on to play Dirty Harry. And that's if he doesn't have that acting success, he's not able to finance that early foray into directing, into producing. Yeah, yeah. And we may not have Clint Eastwood. Hollywood may be a very different place. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Ennio Morricone. For Hilary Swank's performance in Million Dollar Baby. Yes. Basically. <laughs> there you go. To, Your to favorite film. <laughs> it's actually great. Come on. Million Dollar Baby <laughs> is actually really good. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. 
I liked it. I think it's really. Are you being sarcastic? No, I, I really <laughs> like it. I think it's great. Didn't it win an Oscar? Or it, it was. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it won the Oscar for best picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's a great film. What was um, it's uh, El, what's the one? It's about a, it, it's named after a car that he directed where he's also Gran Torino. Yeah, Get not off a, not my as lawn. big a fan of that one to be honest. I thought it was yeah a little bit uh, too much, but like. But he made it iconic, right? Yeah, because yeah. of just that stare. Get off my life. I mean, it's, it's a great meme. Like, uh, I, it's a meme I see used. Uh, <laughs> you TikTokers. Oh, yeah. Like I use it about them. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's Marconi to thank for all of that. Yeah. Thank you, Enya. Uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah. Pour some out. Uh, that's a wonderful segue, actually, into uh, Mr. Tarantino. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, we've we've talked about how we need to do a Tarantino episode. We definitely do. We also need to do a Hitchcock episode. And uh, part of the prep for this episode highlighted that. And all I wanted to do here was drop in a little uh, teaser of, of something that we can talk about in future episodes. Uh, anyone who's seen Kill Bill will remember there's a scene where um, one of the characters, one of the assassins, uh, is whistling a tune as she's going mm-hmm. to try and assassinate the bride. It's a tune that goes, and I'll try and whistle it. That one, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's that's actually a tune called Twisted Nerve. And it was written by Bernard Herrmann for a film called Twisted Nerve back in the 60s, actually. Okay. And Tarantino, big fan of that film, uh, big fan of Herrmann, dropped it in as a nice little reference uh, in, in Kill Bill, right? But uh, I remember after Kill Bill came out, everyone was referencing and, and whistling that little tune. It was like actually incredibly sticky, given that we hear it like twice in the film and it just like, it, it stuck with us, right? But this sent me down a huge rabbit hole because Bernard Herrmann, uh, wrote that for a Hitchcock film, actually, called Torn Curtain, and it wasn't used. So it, it went on to be used for a different film, and, and then it went uh, into Twisted Nerve. But uh, him and Hitchcock had a big falling out, and uh, we'll talk, I think, in future episodes of how that particular moment, the moment where Bernard Herrmann and, and Hitchcock kind of split creatively, was the beginning of the end for Hitchcock, actually. Mm-hmm. So big film nerds well. uh, will have something to look forward to. Might not be the next episode, but at some point we're going to do a... A roundup on Hitchcock, and uh, I have some big postulations there. But um, big Tor- Al. And, and of course, we can't stray too far now into into Tarantino level because he also is a great employer of like real music, existing tracks in his right. film, and that's not for today's episode. No, so exactly. We're going to save that, and of course, we'll come back to Tarantino uh, many times, I'm sure. But uh, at least for now, I just wanted to drop in the uh, the twisted nerve, interesting uh, side note with uh, with Tarantino. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, Tarantino being one of the, the patron saints of, of this podcast. <laughs> Literally. We should have a little shrine on the wall every episode. We say a little... Uh, a little well, prayer. imagine if our listeners are playing bingo with uh, with what we say. I mean, you easily could at this point. Anytime yeah. I mention... Actually, I'm not going to mention it because uh, I'm going to get through one episode without mentioning the particular film that I always mention. So, uh, yeah. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I do. Um, yeah, and then I think, uh, so we've covered a lot on scores. Uh, I think what what we saw also while we were digging into this was quite a recent phenomenon that you being a musician yourself uh, yeah. could enlighten uh, us on. Just a bit of an observation that um, th- historically composers have come from a classical background, that they're usually classically trained. They've gone to Juilliard or one of the big uh, right. you know music schools. And after having a career as a composer slash conductor, they are tapped by Hollywood and they go on to to start writing for film. And of course, it should be no surprise that these days that's no longer really the case. And actually, the composers can be found in many different places, no no less than in rock bands. Mm-hmm. Two of the biggest, uh, most talked about scores from the past, say, 10, 15 years or however long it is, 
are respectively Trent Reznor's score for The Social Network, mm -hmm. where it's actually a beautifully composed piece, nothing like his work on Nine Inch Nails. It's like a, a very kind of right. moving, thoughtful um, composition. Uh, and Johnny Greenwood, the guitarist for Radiohead, he, uh, he put together the score for There Will Be Blood, which is also uh, a very kind of innovative and non-conventional score for a movie. Mm -hmm. Both, I think, nominated for Oscars. Not sure if they won. Would have to double check. I think Trent Reznor. I won. think Reznor did. Yeah, yeah. but uh, incredible scores from maybe uh, an unexpected place, right? But yeah. uh, I think the 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 point is obvious, which is like if someone's a good musician, like we talked about in the in the One Hit Wonders episode, if someone has the creativity to uh, be a global superstar musician, it's highly likely that they will also be a, a superstar at at composing. Yeah, not a given, let's say, but. Right. I think uh, all I wanted to say here was bring it on. I want to see more. Like, yeah. uh, what other guitarists are out there that need to be uh, given the chance to uh, to make a soundtrack for a film? No, I think that uh, speaks also to the, the versatility of, of certain subsets of, uh, of talent as Absolutely. well, right? It's, uh, yeah. it's really, uh, it's quite cool. And you mentioned there will be blood and, you know, what it is pitch perfect yeah. that... Uh, that that music accompaniment to mm. to that film uh, mm. in the in the in the moments where you really need it. So hundred uh, percent. And if I can give a little gift to our listeners, actually, if you're a Radiohead fan, you mm -hmm. need to check out the Smile, who released an album in uh, August of last year. That's uh, Tom York and Johnny Greenwood's new project. Okay, it's, the Smile. Yeah. All so right. Radiohead haven't had a good album in in a while, I would argue. Mm. But this album from the Smile, which is them plus another drummer, is like the best thing they've released in ages. Okay. So if you've been uh, craving a Radiohead fix and you haven't heard the Smile yet, guys, please do check it out. All right, we will. And listeners, let us know what you think about that. So wrapping up here on scores, wrapping yeah. up here on uh, music and film for now. Uh, we will come back shortly, dipping into our listener mailbag yes. yet again. And welcome back once again to the final segment of this week's uh, Lost in Postulation. And as again, in episode seven, we are diving into the listener mailbag. One of the great things about doing a podcast is you start getting... Uh, People chipping in with their own postulations, yeah. as it turns out. I feel like we're bringing back that word postulation because I've had so many people hit me with their, and they don't say opinions or takes, they say postulations straight up. So uh, love that. And thanks, everybody. Respecting uh, the craft. Respect the craft. Come yeah. on, you got to postulate. It's, uh, it. it's great. So uh, we thought we would refer back to a couple of those and uh, give, give credit where it's due for some great postulations. And of course, uh, keep the door open for future ones as well. Let's keep this as a recurring segment. But uh, one of the interesting topics that I wasn't really expecting to generate as much discussion as it did was I think it was the start of episode five, where I threw out the question to you at the very start at our, at our like intro postulation. Right. I was like, what do you think of Sonus? You know? <laughs> and okay, this, this kind of just, you could probably hear from the audio, I wasn't exactly like... I uh, hadn't exactly planned this as like a long uh, as a big topic, but actually it turned into a good discussion, and it has generated a lot of discussion yeah. uh, from this uh, from our listeners as well. I was contacted just last week actually by a friend of the show Ilka up in uh, up in Finland. Up in Finland, yeah. So Ilka is a is a Finn, and he's not just any Finn. He is a pro. Okay, not 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 to use the, to be technically true, he's not a pro sauna user, but mm -hmm. he is like basically an absolute expert. Um, Back when I used to work with him more closely, I went up to Helsinki and we, we went to a, a proper sauna complex called Luli up, oh. in, uh, up in Helsinki, which is uh, fantastic for anyone who's ever in Helsinki, by the way. Right. But he brought me to the like whole saunas. experience. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's wood-fired. It's all great. Like, so that was, despite my complaints about saunas in general being mm -hmm. a little bit uncomfortable, that was a great uh, experience. But Ilka uh, wanted to help me understand a little bit, help us understand 
what is it about uh, saunas? He had two pieces of advice that might help our enjoyment of them. All right. So number one was, he said, Neil, I know what you're doing wrong. He said, you need to have a beer. Beer is oh, crucial for saunas, right? Okay. So either you have it with you in the sauna, you can have it before or after, but beer is a key ingredient with saunas. He says anyway, and he, he's sure that we would enjoy it more were there a beer involved. That was, that was point number one. Okay. But point number two which was kind of what we talked about and he, he also confirmed, which is that it's not really about the sauna itself. It's about how you feel after. Right. And I think that's, that rings true. And I can mm. definitely tell you that, yeah, that, that feels a bit more legit, that it is suffering. Like, it isn't. The suffering is necessary. Because yeah. I, I don't really buy anyone who, who says, like, you know, I just love sitting in the hot. Like, no, it's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it is really uncomfortable, right? But the suffering is necessary because when you come out the other side, you do, and especially even that evening, the hours to come after, you feel great. So I think Ilka has it uh, has it nailed, and if anyone should know, it's a, it's a real fin. So, Absolutely. Uh, so thanks, Absolutely. Ilka, for that one. What I would be interested in knowing, you mentioned the beer, is if that's due to the uh, alcohol content mm. of the beverage, or is it specifically about beer? That's a good question. And is it specifically about beer as a drink, or because of the conviviality or the unique nature of beer as a right. drink right now? As a social glue. Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. I think it's multifaceted. I don't think we'll, we'll be able to crack that. Right. But I do think... Beer has a uniquely refreshing quality, right? I know that uh, one of the running clubs in Copenhagen, uh, it, it uses beer as like one of its central... Yeah, uh, the Mikella Run Club. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, and they really swear by it. Even in non-alcoholic beer, they use yeah. it as hydration, you know. So like, yeah. uh, there is something to it, I guess. But um, one way or another, I think we have to find out. We have to... Uh, we got to crack back. open a couple of cold ones and head to a sauna. Absolutely. Yeah. Did we have a, we we had a that was one opinion, but yeah. I think we had one more. Right? We had another one. It's kind of like a listener on listener reply from uh, Alex, a resident in Sweden but of uh, of Russian origin, mm. uh, and he uh, told me, uh, and I quote: "I feel great respect for the Finnish sauna." <laughs> now, keep in mind, listeners, this is you know he didn't know sauna <laughs> rivals the yeah. Finns and the oh, and indeed, the Russians, yeah, 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 right, exactly. Um, and he continued. I would cut my finger off if I never could go to a sauna Whoa, for the rest of my life. That's severe. But I would kill myself if I could never go to a Russian banya, a Russian bath. Oh. He um, he then proceeded to explain to me that uh, those Russian banyas, those Russian baths, are with essential oils and a birch oak, mm. eucalyptus, or juniper be some huge yeah. uh, for skin peeling so okay. to aid that as well so yeah, really yeah. getting into this cleansing aspect okay. uh, and he claims you'll be born again with a skin like a baby's soft butt <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he's had two babies himself so i imagine you know yeah. um he says dip yourself in a cold spring to cool yourself mm-hmm. get a cup of beer or kvass, hey. which he says is the Russian kombucha relative. Yeah, yeah. And have 12 hours of sleep afterwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. We see some overlap here, though, right? Because yeah. the beer thing comes up again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then uh, he proceeded to invite us. He oh. said, you know what? I'll buy a piece of land here in Sweden, build a banya, and invite the podcasters for a tryout that is that means a lot and thanks alex for that i look forward to it i i guess i shouldn't hold my breath as to it happening maybe in the next few months but i definitely do think uh, i'm up for that yeah. i also have to comment uh, on 
this unique way of describing how much you would hate something to by measuring it in terms of how much of your body you would cut off. I think fatalism. Yeah. That is a real. Uh, that's a new approach that I think we should adopt for this uh, podcast as well. I think so. I love it. I, yeah. I mean, very, very visual. Very vivid. Um, again, here what you see is uh, is having a drink. Uh, the twelve hours of sleep afterwards. I mean. I wish I could get 12 hours of sleep. Well, I'd sign up for that anytime. This is your chance. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, amazing. So uh, we will go with Ilka to the sauna, the banya that Alex is going to build uh, mm-hmm. in Sweden. TBC. Uh, TBC. Uh, <laughs> whenever yeah. he's finished building it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll bring a few drinks. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at that. More sauna postulations to, yeah. uh, to tie it, us in. Exactly. And yeah. just to tie that up, as soon as you start researching saunas and mm. why we say the rivals, the Finns and the Russians, yeah. is because there was, for a period of about 10 to 15 years, until 2010, there was actually a world sauna championship, mm. which saw almost every year in the final, the Finns going head to head with the Russians um, and uh, the Finns winning every year. Yeah. Uh, now you may ask, what the hell is a sauna championship? Essentially, whoever lasts the longest uh, in the hottest temperature in, in the hottest yeah. temperature wins. Jeez, it's like a, a sauna lasts, sprint. When you say lasts, I mean it literally means lasts. Yeah, in, so yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a grim note. Uh, in 2010 uh, final, Finland versus Sweden, the yeah. Russian contestant actually died in the sauna. So uh, so they kind of stopped doing it after that, which is understandable, right? Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, I just wanted to go through a bit uh, a bit some of the rules for yeah, to, please to let's, end let's on. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so the starting temperature is 110 degrees Celsius. So that's no. already up to 20 degrees warmer than our civilian sauna, which we would go to above boiling. Exactly, but get this: half a liter of water will be poured on the stove for every thirty seconds. <laughs> no. So it's getting every thirty seconds; it's getting progressively uh, steamier and warmer. I hate it already. Yeah. Use of alcohol is prohibited prior to and during the competition. So alcohol again—it's really like a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it it's a thing. I yeah, think yeah. otherwise they would use it. Be, it yeah, must yeah, help. Yeah. It must numb or okay, I don't okay, know. Okay. Yeah. Um, competitors must wash themselves beforehand and remove okay. any creams and lotions. That's I mean, fair, let's right? you know yeah. be sanitary. Yeah. The competitor must sit erect. Their yeah. buttocks and thighs on the bench may not lay down. Yeah. I always yeah, lay yeah, down yeah, in yeah. a sauna. Exactly. Actually. No, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, ordinary swimsuits must be used, so it is oh, not a nude not sauna. Not a nude sauna. Okay. Uh, pant legs in men's swimsuits may be up to twenty centimeters long. Uh, the measurements there. Uh-huh. Um, hair that reaches the shoulder must be tied into a ponytail. So the hair could be like a tactical advantage. If a you... cooling effect potential. Yeah, 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 yeah. Creates a bit of a an And I guess umbrella. the short, the shorts as well, right? Because it's like they're limiting right. the length because it might cool you or if there was it wet. It must like, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good to it know. It must be because okay. once you sweat into those shorts, it yeah, kind of yeah. continues to, to cool you, I would yeah. guess. Touching the skin and brushing is prohibited. Okay, you have to just like hold your arms yeah. out or something. Yeah, apparently. Okay. That part is crazy because you, extreme, you also right? just want to, it's a natural reflex to just yeah, but wipe the sweat. I, right? I get the rule though, because probably if you don't prohibit it, they'll just do it the whole time. They'll spend yeah. the whole, yeah, and just, it it's, it becomes a competition of who can rub themselves right. uh, yeah, most. Yeah. yeah. At the request of the judges, competitors must show that they are in their senses with a thumbs up. So. My God. Uh, competitors must be able to leave the sauna unaided yeah. to qualify. So it, Okay, so if you have a, a, like a, an award-winning run, but then you can't walk out, you're, you're exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly, which I think is fair in that sense. Um, a breach of the rules uh, is a warning. Another one results in disqualification. So if you touch, uh, yeah. you know, your other yeah. arm you uh, one twice, more. you're yeah. out. Um, the last person leaving the sauna unaided is the winner. 
so that's the World Sauna Championships, oh, uh, which uh, which do not exist uh, any longer. I'm sure if you go on YouTube, you can you can find some yeah, highlights from probably. from previous years. But uh, well, never, we have a lot to work towards. Hundred percent, and never has there been a tournament that I've ever heard of that I'm more sure that I would lose. You know, like there is a zero point zero 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 infinity chance of me ever succeeding in that tournament, even past the first round. I'm just way too uh, attached to my own comfort. I would, at the first moment of uncertainty, I'd be like, have a great tournament, guys. We'll see yeah, you later. Exactly. Yeah, I'm exactly. Also, because I didn't even see what the, the prize money is, but I can't imagine it's uh, I doubt these guys are tennis like. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're doing it for the money. They're no. here for, for bragging rights. Yeah. And the love of the game. 100%. Uh, on that note, Neil, any final pearls of wisdom for our listener community? I wish I had. All I wanted to say was, uh, welcome back. We're back in business. And, yes, we are. Uh, that's a welcome back to the listener. Welcome back to Nicola Volpe. Welcome back to me, Neil Fitzpatrick, I think, as well. Also, welcome yourself back. Please yeah, do. Thank you. Well, yeah. Thanks, me. And uh, hope to uh, to see virtually or hear everybody again and, uh, in the next episode. And uh, you can always reach out to us. That's uh, tweeting at inpostulation or lostinpostulation at gmail.com. We welcome any uh, feedback and we look forward to continue producing content for you guys. For free. For free. <laughs> <laughs> Till next time. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>